Hey everybody, welcome to Hit Rewind. This episode we are discussing two sci-fi movies set in space. They're also kind of scary kids, I guess, but they're also a little trashy. Starship Troopers and Screamers. I'm Michael and that's Kersey. Hey, how's it going? Alright, so this is part of a uh, two episode thing where we're discussing four movies in outer space. Uh, it seemed like there was like a heyday for this. Uh, post the first Alien and then post Aliens really wasn't a whole lot of movies like that. But then all of a sudden, I guess because CGI got easier, I don't know. Well, all of a sudden we just had this wave of horror sci-fi. I wouldn't say it made it easier; it just made it cheaper. Yeah, you're right. You know, okay. I don't know if that makes sense anymore. There is one on this list that I decide not to do because I've tried two or three times, um, and it just sucks. And that's Supernova. I've never tried it. Yeah, it's it was a, a movie that was filmed by three different guys. The first director, Walter Hill, quit because he was so frustrated. They completely rewrote the script, reshot it, and then that guy sucked. And then Francis Ford Coppola had to come in and try to fix it, and that sucked. So, <laughs> yeah. A, has any movie that had uh, that has a history like that ever turned out good? Just close production, man. It's over. I don't know. There's so many movies where, yeah, it's just like, how do we save this? Maybe you shouldn't. <laughs> I still can't believe this fucking Borderlands movie. The uh, Eli Roth was too busy filming Thanksgiving when they demanded reshoots, and they brought in somebody else. And I'm like, why didn't you just wait till Eli Roth was done with Thanksgiving and just do the reshoots? What the fuck? And now it's it's not coming out for like another year. So what was the rush? Well, who's who's directing or directing that? Yeah. What's that? Who's directing a Borderlands movie? I didn't even know about well, this. Well, it was, Eli Roth was the director during the whole first run, and they wanted to go back and do reshoots, but he wasn't available. So they got the guy that did Deadpool. I can't remember his name. You know the guy that helped do the first John Wick? Yeah. David uh, Lech, I think? Chad, Chad something? No, that's it. Yeah, yeah. Chad Chahelski or, something, or Stahelski or something like that. So, yeah, he, he came in. I think, to tell you the truth, I don't think it, Eli Roth wasn't available. I think they wanted to up the action sequences because Eli's not exactly known for action. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. But, like, how are you going to map that? Like, and how is he going to, like, just make action scenes into a movie that's already done? Yeah. It's happening. It's going to be a disaster. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, I don't know. Video game movies are not uh, not, not usually successful. <laughs> They're not known for their quality. Yeah. Um, though, weirdly, they, get, they have been getting better. Like, the Mario Brothers and the Sonic and the last Tomb Raider wasn't bad. Oh, I've only seen the Super Mario Bros. And yeah, I actually kind of like that one. All right. Um, so let's get to the <laughs> the meat of this. Yeah, let's get I think we're trying to avoid. <laughs> no, no. Um, so I've seen Screamers quite a few times. I know it's not good, but the kernel of it is a good idea. And I, I really enjoy it based on, I, I think all of Philip K. Dick's movies have either been compromised from its original vision Um or it's just been a fucking mess. It's like Dean Koontz. I think the only one I can think of where it was close to the book was uh, uh, Blade Runner. Dean Koontz? No, 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 uh, no, 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 no. Philip K. Dick. Oh, okay. Oh, thank God. <laughs> no, I was just comparing the two because there are a lot. Like, there's Imposter, there's Total Recall, which the first one with Arnold Schwarzenegger isn't really that close to the book. And uh, in this, and I think there's a couple others scattered in there. But. I always feel like some of these movies, like the Stephen King in the 80s, where it just whoever would license the rights, you know, woohoo, let's just get it, get that money. Who cares if it's good? Yeah. Um, and you can tell, like, this is a real low-end, barely released in theaters. If it had just been a couple years later, I bet you it would have been cable or straight-to-video. Oh, 
Oh, for sure, yeah. Um, and it says it costs like eighteen million, and I just don't see that. It's <laughs> it's in the middle of nowhere in fucking Manitoba. That means there was a lot of people there who had a really expensive coke habit because there's no way it cost more than a couple mil. Yeah, or it's one of those money laundering things where it, like we pre-sold this uh, internationally at one of those markets for this amount of money, and then we have to pretend yeah. like we spent that. <laughs> Um, Peter Weller definitely at the end of his career. I mean, this is years out from RoboCop 2 for Pete's sake. His star is definitely faded, and he's the big selling point. Uh-huh. Um, so, yeah, so Philip K. Dick story that was optioned, and it was originally written by Dan O'Bannon, and it was supposed to be made in the mid-'80s, and it just kind of languished. Uh, they did a quick rewrite by the guy who did Fright Night, I believe one of the writers of Fright Night, Fright Night 2. Um which is really a shame because like those are two really big names and yeah. I've had high hopes. Well, I, I think it. I think the problem is is some of the casting and the fact that it is it's just cheap. There's a special effects sequence in this that's so laughable that should never have made it to the big screen. Do you know the one where they blow the you know the the tough guy, the one who's always chewing on his uh Wait, no, that's that's the nerdy one. There's one that's always taunting the nerdy guy. You keep repeating the same things over and over. Yeah, yeah. Whatever. And then when they blow him in half, <laughs> it looks so fucking terrible. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. It looks like someone took a, a pop, you know, those little pop things you throw on the ground and it burst, whatever. It looks like they just put that into, like, a little fucking doll and it popped apart. <laughs> I was going to say, it kind, of, it, it, it kind of reminded me of, um, oh, man, it's like... Uh, when you have like cell animation and you just like move the cell over and off the thing like, oh just, yeah it, yeah the um yeah so basically the story is it's a war in the future over uh planetary like uh, mining rights and different corporations they're now like running like the military they have their own private force and they one side has built these little things called screamers and they hunt people down and basically they don't have to do the work they don't have to have their own soldiers they just have the robots that basically are just blades like little piranhas you know yeah that would kind of be the i think the more accurate way of describing it because they live underground and they just come up and then just kill you instantly yeah and i like some of the mythology they build around like the rules of how to stop them and and how things work on that planet and introducing someone who is new to the planet and has to get that exposition is is an easy way to do it but it also is like the most logical way to explain everything yeah because it is kind of complicated um basically like they they read what is it like pulse or something so you have to put on like this this bracelet and activate it um that way it it kind of like hides your pulse or something so he can't can't see you that it thinks you're dead and um as things have gone and this is the part i've seen this like i said four or five times i keep forgetting are the robots advancing themselves or is the corporation on the other side building the new versions that hide as humans uh, no, they built themselves apparently. Okay. So like the tech. So basically, all of this stuff is built underground, and I guess like they the robots over like over they overthrew them their masters, and then they started like building their own technology. So it's kind of like a Cyberdyne oh, okay, uh, from okay. Terminator situation. And I gotta tell you, this must have been the coldest film shoot in history. I mean, this looks colder than the thing. It looks like a miserable fucking month or two of just in the desert of the winter, you know, and just freezing your balls off. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think some of the stuff they use, like, this is, 
there is a little bit of CGI in this, like with the ship and stuff like that. For the most part, though, it's it's practical old school effects. They got really great matte shots. I'll say that. Like that world yeah. that they build, I, I'm guessing only like a third of it's real, and they just like have all this stuff in the background. I thought that looked good, and I think Peter Weller does give a good performance. He, he tries for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's hammy though, man. It is. It, it's borderline corny, but just on like it's like it's fun trash, is what I should say. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm, I I like the concept uh, of like a war that's gone on for so long. People kind of forget what it's even about anymore. Yeah. And the, the place that they're fighting for is just like destroyed. So there's no point. It, it, and it kind of forces them to like sit down and talk about their their issues out, especially when there's this you know the third entity um, that's kind of going after uh, both sides now. Yeah, and there's. There was a movie about six years before this called Moon 44 that Roland Emmerich did. It was his first sort of American film um, where it's it's kind of the same concept where corporations are fighting over the mining rights on this planet or whatever. But instead of robots, they just have pilots who go around protecting the ships that are mining. Um, it's kind of like Top Gun, but in outer space. Um, it's, it's pretty good, actually, for a low-budget movie. Um, there is a sequel to this, which is almost the same exact plot. Better effects, though, um, but not a better story or better acting. But it's, I think, the first performance by Stephen Amell, you know, from the Arrow TV show. If you like oh, this, yeah. you'll probably like that. Okay. They did. They stole the effect, though. You know in Blade 2, where the vampires have evolved and their whole face splits open? Yes. They have that, but with the screamers now, they open their face up and it has like drills. So they'll, you know how in this movie, the first one where he grabs him, he just crushes him to death? Yeah. Uh, this one, they'll grab you, pull you close, and then open their face and then drill through your head. Yeah, see, that's, I think that's better. That's way better than just being hum- strong humanoids. Yeah. I actually like, because, was... they, that, because they still retain, because that's the thing about the screamers is they look like saws and shit um, in them. So, like, developing like to look human but still have like those elements to it makes a lot more sense and i'll say they don't pull a lot of punches in this it's a pretty brutal movie nobody is really safe no you you know movie's good when a kid gets shot Uh, (laughs) (laughs) like that's actually a goal like a bunch of kids come out of a facility and they just unload on them i mean they're robot kids but it's kind of funny let me ask you this do you think that at the end of the movie, when he's flying his escape pod out, and then you slowly see that little teddy bear rise, and is like, oh, can I come with you? Is that little voiceover? What do you think happens? Is that just gravity pulling the teddy bear up, or is the teddy bear part of the whole thing? He's a screamer as well. Uh, that's weird. I do not really recall that. I know the kid was carrying one. Yeah. Um, but, you know, when you said that, that just made me think of the empty man. So I'm kind of I'm confusing these two now because I watched them kind of around the same time. Okay, yeah, I've had The Empty Man in my collection for a long time. I still haven't got around to watching it. The comic books are great. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of the movie. Okay. But, uh, anyway, I, I don't know. I, uh, I don't think it really matters. I think they're, I think they're probably sequel baiting. Uh, I don't, but as far as I can tell, I don't think the sequel has anything to do with it, though. Has anything to do with this plot? Now, spoilers. The sequel opens up explaining everything that happened to, in the first movie, and it's years later, like decades later. And all the screamers are apparently gone, um, and they explain that Peter Weller's character committed suicide before he came back to Earth because he was paranoid that he was now a screamer or that he was going to spread it or whatever, and he lost his mind in space. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, and then 
like the, the screamers aren't gone they've just been slowly evolving into better versions whatever and like there are these pods that are being built whatever it's yeah the ex the, the excruciating leaps and bounds to get to that that's what like oh well you did your work isn't kind of the the end of it the thesis that like your 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 programming doesn't define you uh so i guess it doesn't make sense that he would kill himself because like it's supposed to be you know, like if things can change, or like kind of on a hopeful note that they'll evolve to something greater. Right. I mean, uh, that's what they explain. I don't know. With the two girls, you know, the the clones of yeah. the two girls, whatever. Yeah, that's what they're trying to explain. Um, yeah. So I say it's it's passable, like popcorn Saturday afternoon kind of entertainment where you could maybe like, yo, let's get some computer work done. Oh, this is funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, the second film is very controversial for a long time. I think now it's been accepted and understood for what it is, and that's Starship Troopers. Mm-hmm. Now, have you ever read the book? I have not. It is a fascist, fucking lunatic, right-wing, extreme right-wing book. And what I love is that <laughs> Paul Verhoeven and the writers got together, <laughs> somehow convinced TriStar to give them $100 million. <laughs> and this is what Paul Verhoeven seems to do every single time, <laughs> is say, oh my God, I'm going to fuck with this so bad. I, I think he purposely makes bad movies, with the exception of Robocop, which I think he did put his heart in, and he knew it was great satire of you know corporations and police forces. Um, but ever since then, I think he's intentionally making bad movies. He, he's like, he's trying to get away with, I mean, look, you know, when he cast Total Recall, there's no way that he saw Arnold Schwarzenegger and said, this is a great actor. He goes, no, this guy can chew the fucking scenery and camp this up intentionally or non. Yeah. And then, but he, he keeps making classics. So yeah. he's doing something right. Yeah. And then basic instinct, you know, that made a shit ton of money, but you know, you and I discussed that there's some really campy shit in there and Sharon Stone's terrible. And I mean, it has its flaws, but it's still like, I, I still enjoyed it. Showgirls. I can't believe now has an audience of people who embrace it. There's been a documentary about this film that, you know, like it's not that bad. Yes, it is. It's goddamn awful, but it's intentionally awful. Yeah. And that's the same thing with this. He is mocking. From what I've understood, I haven't seen Showgirls yet. It is on my list. Uh, But he basically took the same idea of like Starship Troopers. Let's just take this idea to the max with Showgirls. Uh, The the same idea of like the um, the sexcapade romp or these kind of movies, and just make the nth degree of what this looks like. Yeah, and he always casts at least one main person in it. Who isn't that good? You know, I mean, like, he knows that they're going to play it the way that he, like, in this hokey, old-school way, or over the top. Um, God, what a gem Michael Ironside is, because he gets it. You know his vibe with uh, uh, Paul Verhoeven is fucking grab it like a rib and just grab the meat right off the bone. Yeah. Um, uh, So this is a commentary, and it's so weird. For the longest time, people said this was a shitty movie or that it was pro-military. I actually knew a guy who said he wanted to join the military because of this movie. And Um, I'm like, how the fuck? I think you missed the point. Yeah, how did you fucking get that? Like, it's it's about how people that run companies and corporations whatever will, you know, use us as cannon fodder to get whatever they want. And it's a lot of commentary on how... um, at least I view it as the bugs are the Native Americans. You're right. <clears throat> or it's about in- how we dehumanize <clears throat> people that we perceive as our enemies. Yeah, and how we invaded their space. And they're just, the bugs are just protecting themselves. 
You know, yeah. it's it's and that's what it is. I think it's commentary on how Americans uh, or Europeans, whatever, came over and slaughtered wholesale and took their land. And, and, and fighting, the, oh, they're fighting back then, they're savages, and they're the enemies. It's like, ah, I don't think so, buddy. Like, yeah, you invaded first. I don't, like, <laughs> like it, it, that's the whole point of, like, making them these giant horrifying bugs is to be like, oh, you don't. It actually reminds me of that episode of uh, Star Trek, the original series, The Gorn. Like, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the one that everyone laughs about. But, like, that whole episode is about how we, like, dehumanize people and we don't really see their humanity and the Gorn was actually just defending itself the whole time, but, like, we don't see that because all we see is, like, it's this monster. Yeah. And then there's, like, this turning point in the movie, I want to say about halfway after, like, the failed um, insurrection, or not insurrection, but the failed mission uh, that just was a total shit show, and they completely, like, under underestimated uh, uh, their strength that turned out to a huge slaughter. Uh, where they just start like dropping bombs on these on the bugs and you just like see them like crying out and like dying horribly and trying to run away and they can't it's so horrible yeah and, and like, they even show there's that point in, so at that point in the movie you're like okay now i get it yeah and they're, they're, they're they even show like there's younger they're, uh, bugs you know the baby bugs or kid bugs you know it just shows you what happens yeah. in war is that when we drop bombs sometimes uh, there's a lot of collateral damage of innocent people and you, you can go back to any war and show that especially like vietnam I mean, this is an allegory for a lot of stuff. So, like, you know, the Native American thing, Vietnam, and then we had just come out of um, Iraq. That one was slightly different because it was about Saudi Arabia. Right, no, it was Kuwait, whatever, where they were bombing the innocent people with chemical drugs. That was slightly different. Um, but it's, it's interesting, like, his take on it as an outsider, that he doesn't view, like, American forces as raw, raw, let's go, you know, no you know, no champion, no salute in the flag. Um and it's interesting is that the heroes are from uh, South America, like Colombia, I think, right? Or something, Brazil? I can't remember now. But I know they're not from North America from what they... Uh... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was Brazil. But there's so many campy lines in this, and there's so many bad performances. And I really believe that only the more, more experienced uh, older actors know that it's camp. Like, you know Clancy, exactly. Brown, Clancy Brown and stuff like that. Um, and Michael Ironside and a few others, they know that it's I corny. I, I get the feeling that Neil Patrick Harris read the subtext because he's playing – because that's like a whole Nazi troop that he's part of. He literally is in Nazi paraphernalia with the with the eagle and everything. Yeah, and I know Casper Van Dien has a fan following, but Jesus, he's horrible in every single thing I've ever seen him in. I don't know how he keeps getting work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, another thing too that's like so fucked up, but the, like the end of the movie is fantastic. Like – the way that they know that they've completely like defeated them is knowing that they're afraid and it's just like so fucked up yeah yeah that like they cheer like they understand like the bugs know that they're done like it's over and they give up and like they they <laughs> that they understand now that it's over and it's just so scary and then like the or just it's so fucked up and then the end of the movie is like another recruitment ad like at the beginning of the movie yeah where you see that like there's more troops and like they're growing in numbers and it's like they're an existential threat to humanity across like well to the galaxy it's uh -huh. it's really effective it's really good once you get that top-notch digital effects for the time period and i love rob Bottin, but some of his 
physical effects, I can't tell if they're intentionally outrageous. Because, you know the part where uh, Clancy Brown has Jake Busey put his hand up to the wall and throws a knife through it? That hand is like four times bigger than his fucking hand. Yeah, it was an absurdly large hand. Or like when the, the dumb guy, the, the cowpoke or whatever, he takes off his helmet and it splits in half. You're like, oh, that is clearly a shit puppet. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like everybody involved behind the scenes was like, let's just have fun with this crazy film. It is interesting how well the CG on those bugs has aged. Like, it's still, like, it's definitely, there's some places where it's pretty bad, but for the most part, especially in close-ups, it's still really good. Yeah. The uh, the movie cost a fortune, and it got pushed back from summer um, to right before Thanksgiving. And I remember we saw, and everybody I was with said it was the stupidest fucking movie, and I came out going, I don't know. There's something. It it feels like it should be a bad movie, but I'm not sure. Like I kept thinking about it for months on end, um, and I don't know. It's, it kind of grew, and I think that's the way it was. Like once it hit video and cable, it started to build that word of mouth, and it made enough internationally. They kind of kept the franchise going, but all direct to video. Have you ever seen any of the sequels? No. It's so strange. This R-rated movie. The first thing that came from it was a Saturday morning cartoon. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, that was closer to the original book. And then they did two sequels that were live action. The second one gets a bad rap. Um, the Phil Tippett, the guy who did all the special effects for Starship Troopers, he found a way to take those digital effects and overlay it on different things. So uh, they made a movie that looked like it cost 25 for 5 And... It's kind of like one of those siege movies where uh, it takes place during that first invasion. You know, the, where everything goes wrong. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the best scenes in the movie. So it starts there. And then it's a group of like eight of them that get trapped in this huge building or whatever. And then there's these smaller bugs that can get in and they get into your brain. They eat your brain. They take over your body and then explode out your head. Um, it was really clever, and I actually really liked the second one. The third one, everybody's, oh, great, Casper Van Dien's back. It's really hokey and cheesy again. The special effects look like shit. Uh, and they, they love that one. Hero of the Federation is not a good movie. <laughs> and, yeah, another thing I want to go back to is, like, how... It, a testament to how good those special effects are. It's, I just watched The, the Flash recently. Yeah, I heard. The CG is awful it's so bad i think the problem now is there's too few special effects houses and too much special effects everything you can think of has special effects shots even if it's not obvious like you remember back in the day like you would know it was a special effect but i mean they were sparse with it usually and a lot of trying to cover it by you know with the lighting or something yeah yeah and and there weren't there were like five or six digital houses everybody knew and those guys were doing good now it seems like all you hear now is oh we're all working overtime the special effects look like shit we're underpaid maybe you guys should pull back for fuck's sake you know or or teach open schools where you teach them to do special effects for credit or something yeah (laughs) um or just think of new, interesting ways to show something. Like, that's what's kind of brilliant about Iron Man, was how simple that is. Yeah. Like, despite, I mean, I'm talking about, like, the close-ups inside of the suit. Like, half of any action scene is just a close-up of a guy's face. And, yeah. I mean, and it's it's brilliant, and that just saves a lot of money. Well, in two, Stan Winston actually built that suit. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. actually wore yeah. it. 
And the problem with the sequels is they, you know, if it was a contract or whatever it was, they're like, well, we're paying Robert Downey Jr. now $20 million a movie. We've got to get him out of the suit as much as possible. So there's so many transformations. Every time he got a chance, he would take his helmet off. Same thing with Spider-Man. They never did this in the comics. Like, stop taking your helmet off for fuck's sake. You're compromising things. Yeah. <laughs> like, if you were trying to kill Iron Man, why is he taking his helmet off all the time? Just, oh, wait, now, sniper him. Just get it right between the eyes. Oh, yeah, there's God. a specific transition that happens between Iron Man 3 and the second Avengers movie where he suddenly just goes out of the suit now. And yeah. it's never really explained. I guess, like, you know what? No, I'm not going to go on this tangent. Well, and also, uh, quickly, I, I, what I see I see in here is that a lot of these guys aren't even wearing costumes. They're just wearing the suits with the dots all over or whatever, and then they add the costume in later digitally. And I'm like, What? I know it's not as stiff, but what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> yeah, so that's what I like about some of these older movies is that, yeah, you can tell they're special effects, especially if a keen eye. But there's something kind of admirable about that. Like, you're still in the early days of CGI trying to be, like, photorealistic. Mm-hmm. All right, so yeah, that... And, and okay. just, like, also just, like, how chaotic some of those scenes are it, mixed with CG which normally is a really bad combo, but somehow it's st- they still make that work really yeah. well. Well, I mean, Paul Verhoeven somehow just had a magic touch when it came to combining the two. Yeah. I can't true. wait to talk about Hollow Man, like the last of his Hollywood, hey, give me all your money to fuck around, but this time I think everybody knew what kind of movie they were making. He didn't cast anybody that was a bad actor. Yeah. All right, so that is it for this episode. Our second part is coming up next. <laughs> 